the way I got into real estate was very non-kosher. It's kind of like how I've gotten to most things in my life. Ask my, my wife. <laughs> but let me give you the four strategies and I'll share with you which one of these have worked really well for me. You're listening to the Kniep and It Real Jodcast. This is your host, Seth Kniep. This is Seth Kniep, Kniep and It Real. Today, I'm going to show you how to invest in real estate for short-term rentals, even if you have little to no money up front. In fact, I'm going to give you four methods I'm going to start with the safest and then go to the riskiest. And then after each method, I'm going to show you the pros, the opportunities and the cons, the risks for those methods. Now, before I get into this, just to give you a little context, I currently own two properties in Miami. They're beach properties. One of them is over a million dollars. Another one's around $750,000. We rent these out as short-term rentos on Verbo. I also own a property in Breckenridge, Colorado at a ski resort. We just purchased it really recently. And by this fall, we'll be renting it out short-term. Currently, it's being rented long-term. I also own a duplex in Southeast Austin that is being rented out short-term. Both sides are. I also own another property in Southeast Austin near East Cesar Chavez that is also a short-term rental being rented out. I also own the home that I live in. <laughs> I also own four apartments in Mexico, specifically in Bucerias, Mexico. It's a little bit outside. It's about 20 minutes outside of Puerto Vallarta, a new up-and-coming city right there on the beach. I own one property in Guatemala. It is an apartment in Guatemala City. I also own a commercial property off Palmer Lane here in Austin, as well as the Just One Dime headquarters right down the street, the new ones that we're building for Just One Dime. And we're about to close or we're making off or hopefully close on a property in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Oh, and another uh, duplex in Austin that is a long-term rental. Now, if you include a duplex as two, because technically you have two rental incomes coming in, that's how we like to look at it. Then all in all, that's 15 properties if you include the one we want to close on, which we believe we will in Tennessee. So what I'm about to share with you is not something I just pulled somewhere off the internet or figured out. This is something I've lived and breathed and failed at and succeeded at for years. And before I ever owned these properties, I did subleasing on Airbnb. At one point, we had seven condos going at the same time. For a while, myself and Josiah were cleaning those short-term rental apartments and there were a couple times where all seven needed to be cleaned within a three hour period. And there are some hilarious and not so hilarious stories behind that. So today I'm going to tell you how to invest in short term rentals with little money, sometimes none. Now, you would think it's a no brainer. I mean, why would someone not invest in real estate? It is one of the most time tested, proven ways to grow your wealth. Now, if you're trying to grow your wealth faster, if you're trying to scale quickly and take advantage of the fastest growing market sector on planet Earth, then pay someone to build an Amazon business for you. The, the returns on that are much bigger than a home. But here's the problem we have run into. Because we do so well on Amazon and so well as Just One Dime training people how to sell on Amazon, this created a massive amount of profit and we were sending hundreds of thousands every month to the IRS because we make so much money, we owe the government a lot of money. And that's how I discovered Tom Wheelwright, 
who reduced Robert Kiyosaki's, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, his taxes to zero. That's how we ended up hiring him and his team to work for us. He actually was on the podcast, the last one, which is really cool. That's how we ended up investing in real estate. So if you are a done for you investor, once you get to the point where you start making bank, I highly recommend you consider taking some of the money and parking it into real estate unless all of it needs to go back into your products. And that's what I was doing for years. But at some point you're going to scale where you have a lot of extra cash. And one of the safest ways to do it is put it into real estate. Now, the way I got into real estate was very non-kosher. It's kind of like how I've gotten to most things in my life. Ask my, my wife. <laughs> but let me give you the four strategies and I'll share with you which one of these have worked really well for me. Strategy number one, Airbnb, a portion of your current living space. Airbnb, I can't believe I just used that as a verb. Isn't that crazy? Rent out a portion of your current living space. Just a room and a bathroom. Now, of course, you're gonna have to include a bathroom. If you have to share the bathroom, that's not ideal, but that's okay. There are people who will pay good money to be able to stop somewhere and rent it out for the night because they're driving through or they want to visit the amazing city you live in. And I so happen to live in a very amazing city, Austin, Texas. Now, when you do this, keep in mind that you're going to have to, at some point, deal with some issues. And, and let me first give you the rewards on this and then I'll give you the, the risks. The rewards are you gain experience really quickly. I mean, look, if you have a three bedroom house, why not rent out one bedroom or a guest room or even a garage retrofitted to be this really cool space? And the cooler and more unique you make it, the more people will be interested in trying it out because people don't go to Airbnb to live at places that they would normally consider home unless they're planning on living there for more than 30 days. They're, they often will pick the most exotic, unique location. So the more you can retrofit it, the better your chances are. But you may not have the time or money for that. And you're like, Seth, I got this room. We're not using it. It's sitting there. My response is that is equity sitting, waiting for you to turn it into cash. Like as you become an entrepreneur, you're going to start looking at life different. You're not just going to see a mug. You're going to see a potential product on Amazon. You're not just going to see a house. You're going to see a potential property to turn into passive cash flow over time. So if you have an extra room, why not list it on Airbnb and rent it out? Now, granted, you're going to have to, again, if you have to share a bathroom, you're going to have to work outside that. There are pros and cons. But that alone could easily make you $50 a night or before you take out the fees. I mean, the first time I ever rented out just one room with my wife as a getaway, literally, I'm trying to remember what we were celebrating. Was it the paying off of her house? Was it reaching 20,000 a month on Amazon? I forget. But we had this habit where when we reached a certain financial goal selling on Amazon, we would go do something somewhere to celebrate. Kind of like when we went to Austin Java with the whole family and cut up our credit cards when we finally paid off all of our credit card debt using the funds from selling an Amazon. So one night we stayed at this guy's place. His name was Tommy. I'll never forget it in Austin. And it was just a room and it was a little awkward. I mean, he came over, his girlfriend came over like, hi, you know, and I'm usually a pretty outgoing person. My wife, she's a little more reserved, but it's still, you know, it was a little awkward. And then we go to Ben, like, you know, it's kind of quiet and it's just a little weird, but we paid him over a hundred dollars. Now, here's the beauty of this. Here are the rewards. Number one, you gain experience and reputation in Airbnb before moving on to bigger and better things. 
you know, gaining really good reviews on Airbnb is powerful, especially if you reach what is called super host status, which requires a minimum of 4.8 star rating. The more reviews you have, the more people will trust to rent one of your properties. And notice I said one of, because this is only the beginning. So you just start, you rent out a room, you do a really good job, you communicate well, you handle any issues, and not only are you now supplementing your income, which is another advantage, especially if you're already renting the space, why not start paying for that rent? I mean, this guy, Tommy, he, this is how I learned about real estate through Airbnb. He's like, Seth, look, I don't pay anything for rent anymore. I make money. He pays his rent, but the money he's making on the short-term rental is higher. Therefore, he is making a profit every month. Literally, he turned his apartment into a cash generating machine. That's asset thinking. You look around, you see something and you say, how can I turn that into making money for me? And that money creates freedom and margin to do the things you love with the people you love. The other reward is there's a lot less risk when you use your own residence because it's a place you can already afford. I'm assuming you're paying your rent or your mortgage at the place you live. So you can already afford it. So this is just like additional income for you. Now, there are risks as well. Number one, random people living in your house can be kind of weird. There is a non-zero chance a guest breaks something or messes with your stuff at some point. It's just gonna happen. So think predictively and proactively in advance to eliminate that as much as possible, but things will happen. And if you're the kind of person who freaks out because they bumped a picture, it hit the floor and it shattered, and you're like, I give up, then don't even start this. But if you're thinking, you know, I could easily replace the uh, glass of from the frame and the picture, it's like $5, $10 at Walmart, look what the money I'm making, then you're gonna do well. The other risk is you might have to clean and do laundry in between guests. So you're gonna have to clean those sheets. You're gonna have to clean the blankets, the pillowcase, all that stuff. You have to clean the bathroom. I mean, keeping the place clean is extremely important. Now, the cool part is you have automatic incentive to have a very clean place now. In fact, if they have to walk through your living room to get to the room, make sure your living room is beautiful. Make sure the entryway is beautiful. Make sure the instructions for getting in are super clear. In fact, I would highly recommend that you switch out your door lock to one of those digital locks and you just give them a code. You can give them a subcode, you have the master code, and then you change the code for each new guest for security reasons. So they show up, they type in the code, they go in. Don't feel like you have to be there to say, hello, I'm Alfred, how can I serve you? Would you like a cup of tea? This is not a bed and breakfast, okay? Even though it's called Airbnb bed and breakfast, that's like a really funny term for the company. They're not expecting that. In fact, a lot of people, they just wanna be left alone. Just make sure you're there as needed. But this isn't like, hey, come on over. Let's sit on the back porch and talk about where you're from. Now, I know people who do that, like ultra extroverts. This is like the dream come true. I'm gonna meet people from all over the world. But for many of you, I know that's not the case. You have a life to live. You're working on your Amazon store. You have your regular job. And so you want this to be as passive as possible. The other issue, the risk is your landlord or HOA might just have an issue with it. So you're gonna have to decide Am I willing to ask forgiveness <laughs> or permission? And depending on your personality type, I could probably guess which way you would go. But either way, if you wanna do it the safe way, get permission first. Number two strategy for short-term rentals, starting with little to no money. Use what is called FHA financing on a duplex or a triplex or a quadruplex. This is called house 
hacking. The Federal Housing Administration backs FHA loans, which means the banks are much more lenient. Even if your credit is less than excellent, it is easier to get a loan. Now with the conventional loan, you know, there's certain strict standards, but even if you have below average credit, you could put down like 3.5%. Now, just to give you guys perspective, just recently, the average sale of a price of a home in the US just recently surpassed $400,000. If you're gonna get a loan on a home, the standard is you need to put at least 20% down. Why? Number one, it makes you look better to banks that you have some cash, you have some skin in the game, it's easier to get approved. Number two, that means you don't have to pay what is called PMI insurance. All that means is if you don't put at least 20% down, chances are you're gonna pay, what's gonna be included in your monthly bill is insurance on the loan. That means if you default on the payment, which means you stop paying, then an insurance company will cover for you or technically for the bank that loaned you the money if you go bankrupt. So what happens is your monthly payment goes up if you have PMI insurance, insurance on the loan. So you don't want that. You do not want payment mortgage insurance. So you're gonna put down at least 20% to avoid that. And with most conventional loans, that is possible. Now, considering the fact that the average price for sale of a home in the US is $400,000, 20% of that is 80,000. There are not a lot of people in the world today who have 80,000 just sitting around ready to invest. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. That's a lot of money to come by. So in order to avoid getting in a situation where you can't break in, an FHA loan gives you an opportunity and sometimes if they qualify you, you can put down as little as 3.5%. That's 14,000 of your 400,000. 14,000 is a lot easier to come by than 80,000. Now the catch is to qualify for an FHA loan, the property in question that you wanna purchase must be your primary residence. And that is why in this strategy, I called it number two, use FHA financing on a duplex or a triplex or a quadruplex. Why is that? Because you're not going, we're not talking now about renting out a room. We're talking about buying a property that you can rent out to short-term rental guests and yet you live there as well. Well, here's the awesome thing. If you have a fourplex, you're only living in one of the plexes and you have three other streams of income. Even if it's just a duplex, you have one space to live in and a separate part of the house where the guest lives and you never even have to chat with them. That is awesome. Now, let me give you the opportunity here. Number one, you have equity. This time, instead of leasing out a part of your living space, you actually are buying a house that you have equity. Equity means you own the material of the house. The more principal you pay off on the house, the more equity you have. The more the house appreciates, which means the value goes up, the more equity you have, which means it gives you options. Let's just say, for example, you couldn't keep making the loan payment. You could refinance. The more equity you have in the home, the more you can refinance, which means just redoing the loan to reduce your monthly payment. Or you could pull money out of the house as a refinance to use as a down payment for another home. There's so many options that you have when you have equity. And the beautiful part about equity is if you simply just own a property, 100%, no loan on it. I'll give you an example. So our property, the one I personally live in with my wife and my kids here in Austin, the value went up over 50,000 in the last 12 months. So the property we own, the value went up and I didn't do anything. 
In other words, I made $50,000. Now, some people are going to go, yeah, but that's not money in your pocket, Seth. Yes, but think about my options. If I ever wanted to pull money out of the house and do a loan, a refinance loan on it, I could pull money out. If I sell it, I just have 50000 more just because the value goes up. Do you see the beauty of this? The beauty of real estate is the value climbs without you doing anything, unless you like put the house to trash and destroy it. But most people are smart enough not to do that. So back to FHA loans, the opportunity here is huge because you get equity in the house, you get cash flow, you have a place to live all in one. The other awesome part is your personal stuff is on your side and they can bring and take their own personal stuff. Additionally, you can invest with a very small down payment. Instead of doing 80,000, which is 20% of 400,000, you could do 14,000. In some cases, $10,000. It's a lot easier to scrounge up $10,000 to get in the door than it is to start with 80,000. Now there is a risk. One risk is all your eggs are in one basket. Investors would call this undiversified. In other words, you have one house, that house is making you money. And if something bad happens to the house, you just lost your operation. But this is kind of a given. I mean, you have to start somewhere. It's not like you're going to start with five different houses. You got to start somewhere. So you start with one. And then as that one grows, it gives you cash to start with another one and another and another over time. The other risk is property management can be a headache. Now, this isn't just unique to this situation. It's unique to strategy number one as well, especially if it's an older property and things keep breaking. So when emergencies pop up, you might have to be Johnny on the spot or Jill on the spot. So keep that in mind as well. The other option, of course, is you can hire someone to do that for you. Okay, let me give you strategy number three, invest with partners. If you are short on capital, you could go in with others as 50-50 partners. In other words, they pay for half, you pay for half, you do some of the property management and they do the other 50% of the property management. This allows you to get in with less cash. This is why networking is so important. The more people you know in this world, the easier it is to do stuff like this. It really gives you an advantage and you don't have to be an expert to do this when you take the time to get to know people when you take the time to talk to people, to investigate, to learn about them, to ask them questions, to understand them, to add value to people with no expectations in return, all of a sudden you have an entire, I can't believe I'm using this word, Rolodex <laughs> of people that you can lean on or go into business with as a result. This is my favorite part about done for you with just one dime. We are building a team of investors, people whom I trust, people who trust us that we can grow long-term wealth with. The opportunities that opens up in the future are just unbelievable. And if you're like, Seth, what are you talking about? Just go here. J-O-D stands for just one dime. J-O-D.com slash D-F-Y. If you want us to build an Amazon business for you and we share in the cash flow that comes off of that store, we do all the work, you invest, and we take our 50 plus years of combined experience to build it, go to J-O-D.com slash D-F-Y. It's kind of fun being my own sponsor. <laughs> okay, let me give you the opportunity, the advantages of going in 50-50 with a partner and then the risks. Here's an advantage. It gets the deal done. You can do a lot more deals if you're partnering with other people. Number two, smaller investment means it's easier to diversify. You could start with one property and six months later, maybe you have enough left over to have two properties. You know, if I could have half of this cantaloupe and half of this cantaloupe, that is safer than having one cantaloupe. 
Because if something happens to one of them, there's flooding, there's a hurricane, there's lightning, the house burns down. Well, at least I have this one. Or maybe that neighborhood, the value goes down, but this one's still good. This is why diversification matters. The other advantage is you can invest with your spouse or a friend. That can be really fun. You can delegate responsibilities based on people's strengths. You know, a really good business partner is someone who complements your weaknesses, kind of like a great spouse, where you are strong, she is weak, or where he is weak, you are strong. That's a beautiful symbiotic relationship and the same is true of a business partner. When problems arise, you can put your head down, you find creative solutions. Now, let me share some of the risks, however, and there are risks and I've been through many of these. The partner might not pull their weight. They may not do the job they need to do and now you have a conflict and this can be difficult because now you have a dispute. Disputes can be tough to solve and because there's only two of you, there's no tiebreaker. So you reach what is called a stalemate. You're going, man, they're not, they're not doing their job. You know, over the weekend, they're supposed to manage the property because we get more guests then. And I manage it Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, for example. But they didn't respond to the guests. They didn't respond to the review. They didn't bring that, you know, wine bottle opener that the guest requested. So I ended up having to do it. So what do you do? Keep doing that and start feeling used and abused or stop and wait for them to do their job and they get stubborn and proudful. And now you have a stalemate which means your business could disintegrate. So when you do this, make sure you go in with the right people. You need to set expectations up front. Don't go in with a buddy. Hey, we're buddy. Yeah, what's up, bro? They're so buddy, buddy. You can't say, hey, what happens if we have a disagreement? How do we resolve that? What happens if one of us wants to sell our 50%? How do we resolve that? What happens if a guest is this and this? You have to think of all the worst possible scenarios up front before you go into business with anyone and talk about them. It's just like a marriage. For a marriage to succeed, and please believe me, I'm no expert. I have lots of struggles, but I've made it so far for 22 years. I know a little bit. You need to know in advance how you're going to handle issues because issues will rise up. If you think life is so perfect that, man, this person, I've known them. It's my sister or my bro from a long time ago. We were in the military together. Uh-uh. You're being naive and foolish. You need to lay out all the possible things that could go wrong. Talk about them now. And if you're too uncomfortable to talk about them now, let me tell you something you're gonna be very uncomfortable talking about them when they come up, which is gonna create codependency, which is gonna create a real problem for your business and a lot of stress that you do not want. So think of those things in advance. Now, someone's gonna come along and say, well, Seth, I have a solution. How about three partners? That way, if there's a disagreement, instead of it being 50-50, you reach a stalemate because neither person can push the decision either way. We have a third piece person. All we need is for two to agree and the other one has to follow suit. Great plan. Just keep in mind that will make the responsibilities more complex. And if you reach that level, it might make more sense to have one, what is called active managing partner. And then the other are equity partners with a less active role. In other words, maybe one of the persons is responsible for managing the property and cleaning it or hiring people to do so, but they get a greater percentage of the revenue and the other people, they just put up the money and they help make decisions on the business. You can get really creative with this and don't get me wrong. It is so fun to go into business with people. You just need to understand the risks as well. Okay, now let me give you the fourth. This is the riskiest. And it just so happens this is the one I started with <laughs> when I first started getting into real estate. You lease the property. Okay, so you find an apartment or a condo. You set it up for lease. Now you're leasing it. And then you sublease it out to Airbnb Guess. Let me give you the name of this fourth strategy. It's called Airbnb Rental Arbitrage. 
So I find a property, I'm paying the lease, but then I'm subleasing it out to guests on Airbnb as a short-term rental. Now, the obvious advantage here is number one, let's just say your lease is 1,200 a month. Chances are you could do 2,000, 3,000 a month doing a short-term rental, especially if you're in a good location. And I love this part because you can pick a really hot spot and even though the lease will be higher if it's a highly valuable location, if you do your research, if you do your study, you will already know what to expect in rentals. That we have formulas for finding occupancy rates on Verbo, occupancy rates on Airbnb, the how much we can charge based on the market. Like we've literally created formulas where we go in and we can calculate all of that. We drop into a sheet so we already know in advance. Now, let me qualify by saying I'm no longer doing this method. I don't need to. Instead, I buy the properties, I own them or I mortgage them and I lease them out. But this method I'm talking about, all it requires is two months worth of lease payment. In other words, if the lease is $1,500, usually you have to pay a security deposit as well up front. So you're gonna pay the first month's rent and the last month's rent, which acts as security department. So you're gonna pay $3,000. So you just need $3,000 to get in and then you set up your operation and you start leasing it out. And after a while, you may find, wow, this is really going well, but I have to spend all this time cleaning, replacing toilet paper, bringing in shampoo. You know, someone uh, did something nasty on a pillow, so I gotta replace the pillow or get it dry cleaned. And that's where you hire help. Again, you have to know your numbers, okay? If I pay a cleaner this much per night for cleaning, how much does that cut into my profit? But Seth, I don't want to lose money. Well, here you have a, a conflict between time and money. If you value your time more than your money, you will end up making more money because even though, let's just say that takes away, you know, a thousand a month from your profits. So instead of being 2000 a month, it's a thousand. It's a simple example. Okay. Don't quote me on the exact numbers. You now have time instead of cleaning it yourself to go open another one. See, you will end up making far more money because that time allows you to create more passive income and the cool part is you're providing work for someone who really appreciates the opportunity to make great money cleaning that place and serving the guests. We have such an amazing person right here in Austin and she handles our short-term rentals and she loves it. Like if we run out of toilet paper, she finds it. If the guest has a problem, she deals, like she, she is all about service. This is her heart. This is how she's gifted and she's making good money as well. She's even gotten her son involved, another friend involved. It's amazing. Now, let me share the opportunities and then the risks of Airbnb rental arbitrage. And I'm going to guess you already know some of the risks. <laughs> the opportunity is you don't need a down payment. You have no debt and yet you're making cash flow. It's also much easier to qualify for a lease than for a loan. So if your credit is bad, you still might be able to qualify for the lease. Repairs and common area maintenance are not your responsibility. If something breaks, well, the landlord has to fix it. And if the deal goes well, the ROI in this can be huge. Now let's talk about the risks. Landlords and communities often have rules against short-term rentals, especially if there's like an HOA, you need to read the HOA rules. You need to find out if it's in the contract. There's three ways this can go. The contract for the lease may say, and often they do, you may not sublease this out, or it may say you may sublease this out, or it may say nothing at all. So it's a gray area. For example, the place I'm in right now is leased while we're building a new headquarters. In the contract, we have right to sublease this place out if we want to as a co-working space because it's commercial property. Many cities have laws that limit Airbnb. 
So you need to know what the city laws are. And usually they're based on zone. So in certain neighborhoods, they only allow like one out of 10 properties to do that. And if they've reached their max limit, then you can no longer do it there. So there's certain things you need to know. Oftentimes they'll require short-term rental license. Now some people, and the truth is most people, they fly under the radar. How's the city gonna track that unless they police it? And usually they only respond to a complaint from a neighbor and that's when they find out, oh, you don't have a short-term rental license. I'm gonna slap on a fee, get a short-term rental license or stop the operation. And so you just have to decide, is that worth the risk for you? If you fail to pay the lease, your credit will most certainly take a major hit. And what happens if the guests just like the market changes and they stop renting? Well, again, this is why you have to look at data. You need to look at historical data to see how the rentals have been in this. It's so easy, guys. You go to Airbnb, you type in the neighborhood, not the city, the neighborhood, like South Congress, Austin. It pulls up a map and you can literally see where all the properties are and what, they're, what they are renting it out for. You click on one property, you go look at their availability. Now, granted, sometimes a landlord can block off dates so that the reason it's not available is not because it's booked, because it's blocked off. But after a while, you begin to see patterns you can identify when it's a landlord booking or blocking off that month because they want to live there for vacation or when it's actually because it's getting booked. For example, if there's spotted availability, that's definitely real. It's not blocked off most likely. But if it's like an entire two weeks and then after that you see open spots, that's an indication it probably was blocked off. Okay, those are the four strategies. I hope this helps you guys a ton. This is Seth Kniep, Kniep and a Real. If you want just one dime to build an Amazon business for you, go to jod.com slash DFY. I'm gonna share one more thing. I would not be in this place of investing in real estate if I hadn't started selling cremation urns on Amazon way back in the old days when I first started in 2014. I wouldn't be here today. And now it's given me enough funds where I can invest in real estate and grow those properties and build equity. And it gives me so much more opportunity. And that is my hope and my wish for you. By the way, we have an entire blog post on this very topic. Just go to jod.com slash blog. And on the bottom right, you're gonna see real estate, click on it. And you're gonna see a bunch of articles on these topics. You have an awesome day.